Polling from Frank Luntz found that 75% of Republicans under 40 support a carbon fee and dividend, which is really major. That 75% number is something that we're really trying to laser in on and focus on within the Conservative caucus because there's so much potential there. So I think that it's really, really important that CCLers who are left of center make it a welcoming environment for conservatives because for, for a conservative to get into climate advocacy, they're stepping out of their comfort zone. And you have to be able to accommodate that and make it so they feel comfortable or else they're just going to leave. We have to have a seat at the table. We have to have a seat at the climate conversation and give our point of view. Because if not, then the only climate plan available is things like the Green New Deal. We have to be able to, to say that conservatives want to have their own plan, or else if you're not at the table, you're on the menu, essentially, right? Hello, and welcome to the Green Tea Party, where we discuss conservative solutions to environmental problems. I'm Hannah Rogers. My name is Zach Torpy, and together we will guide you through complex issues and provide strategies to address them all while remaining faithful to our conservative values. Trust me, it's a good time. Yeah, it's a party, so grab your mugs and we're gonna pour the tea. So Zach, how's it going? How have you been? Also, everyone, Katie is ill this week, so it's just me and Zach together praying that Katie gets better next week so we can have her back on the show. Yeah, I, I've been uh, pretty good. I went to a, my friend's wedding in New York this weekend. It was a blast. Had a great time. Unfortunately, had the deal with flying, which always is a terrible experience. I mean, some people really enjoy flying, but anymore, it's just like being cramped in an aluminum tin can, it feels like, and being hurled through the air. I, I'm not the biggest fan anymore. I don't like flying mostly because of how intense the carbon footprint is, but it's also just such a hassle. I mean, I go to the airport sometimes two hours early just so I can wait by a gate and scroll on my phone and stare at strangers. And Yeah, I have a cousin who's a, who has her own flying license and flies like a, a small plane that she enjoys. And that sounds like fun, doing it yourself and enjoying it. But yeah, the sitting, the waiting, the getting stuck between someone who smells like farts and another person who's coughing and sneezing all plane ride. Not an enjoyable time in my experience. Also, you have to sit by a stranger and like just an awkward conversation is sometimes super weird. And I've had people like ask me like super personal questions on the airline. And it's like, help me, I can't escape, you know, because you can't get up and move and find a different seat. The biggest reason why I hate flying is because I prefer train rides. I don't know if any, anyone has ever done a long haul train ride before, but it is so much nicer because you can like get up and move around. You have way more space. You're not too far away from the window seat. So you can always look out the window. It's just like so much better. Yeah, I grew up outside in New York City. So I took the train into work every day for three years when I was working in Manhattan. It was much better than driving because I got to sit there. I got to read my books, listen to my podcasts. My buddy who lived like in the same town as I did, got home at the exact same time every night as I did. And he drove. He sounded miserable every day. And he's like, yeah, it's terrible. I'm I'm angry. I'm honking. People are angry at me. Like no one's happy. If there's anything that irritates me more than traffic, it's bad traffic. <laughs> so I'm like, 
I, I, if I sit in traffic and I'm just like white knuckling it the whole time and I'm so viscerally enraged. In fact, this weekend I went to go visit my mom and I contemplated flying because if, you know, flying is maybe a little bit faster and I don't have to deal with traffic, but I was tailgated the whole way up and this guy that tailgated me eventually ended up crashing and caused traffic. So this person became like my arch nemesis because not only was he tailgating me, but he also caused traffic by getting in an accident. And I know that sounds heartless and it is, but I really don't care about his safety (laughs) because he caused me to sit in traffic. And I was so angry. But the thing is like, it's just kind of this bad deal because I can't win. It's either I fly and I have to sit at the airport for two hours. And if you've ever had that issue where, the airline has to taxi you to the gate and you know you have to sit on the the plane for an extra couple minutes while they drag you around actually my worst experience flying was um I had a boyfriend actually I don't really know if I want to call him my boyfriend a guy that I was seeing for a minute and this was like three years ago so at the beginning of college for me I was flying out to visit him because he was at the Air Force Academy the plane ran into an entire flock of yeast while it was taking off. <laughs> and it was only like a two hour flight. So we get, we get an hour and 30 minutes into our flight and they decide to turn all the way back around and fly back to Salt Lake city because the Denver <laughs> airport refused to squeegee the bird guts off the plane. And fly back to Salt Lake. And then I had to watch them squeegee bird guts off the airplane for two hours before I, boarded a different plane that was an hour and a half later and then flew that one all the way out to Denver, well, Colorado Springs. And it was just, it was such a nightmare. And the thing is, if you're on a train, you're not going to need to squeegee bird guts off every window. It was, it was horrible. I mean, also another thing is geese can take down a plane. They can like explode an engine. So I'm lucky to be alive. (laughs) Yeah, I I can, I resonate with those feelings. I have, this is the year of weddings for me, and I've been to four weddings now, all in New York. So I've been flying a lot. Every trip has been a nightmare, been delays. There's one point where I got stuck in New York for an additional week, had to go to the airport three times. Two of the, two of the flights got canceled. So I was at the airport, went through all of security, and they canceled my flight. And oh my gosh. Yeah. Do you know how common these delays are, Hannah? Uh, far too common because I get you know, enraged every time I go to the airport. Oh, one time I was flying to Taiwan, Taipei. My connecting flight from San Francisco got delayed. And so I had two minutes to make my connecting flight. And the person I was traveling with decided to run all the way down the wrong terminal. So I almost (laughs) missed my flight. And I can tell you the stress a delayed flight caused me enraging. So give me the figures. How, How often is it delayed? How many people are going through crap like that? So in 2022, over one-fifth of flights were delayed, with the average delay being 67 minutes, with, and 3% of flights are canceled. That, that's just an incomprehensible number to me. Like A fifth of the time, you're waiting an extra 70 minutes to get on your flight when you've already gone through like two to three hours of getting to the airport, going through security, dealing with everything. On average, people are told to be two hours early for domestic flights, three hours early for international flights. So if you get delayed, you're there like for over four hours without going anywhere. So why aren't people like throwing fists yet? I would be, uh, I mean, nothing irks me more than having my time wasted. This is another sad thing is those kinds of delays can cost people a lot of money and a lot of time. Like imagine you're going out for something super important 
or you're going out to see a family member you haven't seen in a long time, airline traffic causes you to miss out on that opportunity. Or you got to catch a connect- connecting flight and then your, your plans are ruined. You got who knows where you're going. <laughs> oh, that's there's, so enraging. There's no competition. They don't have any, there's no long distance travel competition except for driving, which takes a long time and is expensive based on the gas. Wait, so are you telling me that airlines basically have a monopoly on long distance travel in the United States because we don't build trains? <laughs> oh, yeah, 100%. <laughs> And the trains we do build aren't really prioritized. They have to share most of the long distance trains are share track with freight and the freight is prioritized. So the passenger train gets delayed and the freight train is gets to do what it wants. And if that freight train gets delayed, gets a, something happens, that pa- entire passenger rail network is shut down and no one's going anywhere. So why are we shooting ourselves in the foot like this is my question. Like why... Why would we not develop this kind of infrastructure that can compete with airlines that's more environmentally conscious, that doesn't waste people's time as much, and is just a dramatically more comfortable way to travel? Yeah, so we transitioned to a car-centric economy in the 1950s when Eisenhower uh, passed the Federal Highway Act. It was a great piece of law that built huge infrastructure all across the U.S., connected all all the uh, lower 48 states through this interstate networks. But it meant that people started driving and that rail networks and rail corridors got deprioritized. They, they weren't important anymore. Everyone was going to take the car. That was the future. Rail just fell on the wayside and people stopped using it. People stopped going out of the way to take it. And we have just not invested it in years. Can't think of the last major rail, pro- rail project we had except for like in New York City. Yeah. Out here in Salt Lake City, we have a track. But the problem is the tracks isn't like a metro or a subway that goes under the ground. So it's still dealing with traffic. So the train goes on the roads and it, it still is faster than driving and it makes more sense than driving a lot of the time. But every time I see the track stopping traffic, I'm like, this is why people don't, I mean, at least where I live in Salt Lake City, invest in high speed railways and rail- railroads is because if you're irritated like traffic that I, like I am, and all of a sudden you see this train going down the middle of the road. You're like, you know, screw this train. I don't want to invest more in this because it's causing me to sit in traffic more. I think we just have not invested properly into this, uh, into high-speed rail or just basic rail in the first place. When you look at countries like Europe, Japan, and China, we're just falling behind on this investment in infrastructure. Whereas like these countries have built integrated networks that connect all their cities and people can travel between them and visit them. I think it offers such a great opportunity to increase like tourism within your own country. Like I would love to see more of the country if it was easier, but hopping on a plane is not fun. I wouldn't mind taking a, taking a train to see you in Salt Lake City. Ah, that's too nice. I could t- take you around Salt Lake and you could see the mountains and ski and all those kinds of things. But yeah, I mean, I would prefer to to take a train rather than fly. Another really big reason why airlines dominate is because the government subsidizes air, the airline industry heavily. According to figures that I've been looking at, for example, even just pandemic subsidies for companies like American Airlines were ranging in the 13 billions. So a, a thing that I feel like I think about a lot is airline travel goes hand in hand with car centric economies, right? Because if you had better public transportation like trains, then you wouldn't necessarily need 
airline travel. So of course, the airline industry is going to be against the development of high-speed rails across the country because it will make them lose customers. One of the things that I'm really passionate about is walkability with public transportation. A couple of years ago, I did a project about how walkability affects the average American's pockets, like how much money they have in their wallets. And the more walkable of a city you live in, the less likely it is that you need to afford to pay, pay for a car. And so if you don't have to pay for a car, there's a much lower barrier to buying groceries, a much lower barrier to going to school and going to work because you can just take public transportation or walk there yourself. But we're subsidizing airlines and we're building highways instead of railroads. It's creating this huge paywall for the average American in order to just go to see their relatives or go to the grocery store. And I think that's really sad because I care about the well-being of the average American. And I feel like walkability and public transportation like high-speed rails go hand in hand with that. Yeah. And it always it seems like every financial crisis we have, the airlines are fir- first in line to go to the federal government. Give me money, please. <laughs> Give me more money, more money. And oh, my God. <laughs> it's ridiculous. Are you guys not able to support yourselves? Have you not saved money up during your record profits constantly? And how how is this industry being supported when they are so financially destitute every time a little hiccup in the economy happens? Yeah, and, you know, airports aren't even close to the city, which is which is another reason that a car is so necessary if you're going to the airport because the airport's usually like 30, 40 minutes outside of the city you want to visit. So then it's another hour driving there, renting a car, and it makes you just very disconnected from the the city, and it makes you reliant on the car. I think it hurts the American culture that we are so reliant on our cars, that no one walks around in their local neighborhood, that we're just developing this system of like big uh, housing complexes next to like a Target. And that's not, that's not culture. That's not yeah. a culture I want to be part of. <laughs> no, I don't either. And especially here in the West where everything is so spread out and we have these big houses and these big shopping malls and stuff like that. I feel like it breaks my heart because suburbia and like kind of the urban sprawl that just is everywhere makes it hard for me to meet meet new people and make friends because I'm not sitting next to someone on the train. I'm not walking down to a local library to like go study. Everyone is just very spread apart. And so it makes it hard to meet new people. And it's very isolating. I don't know if you feel that way. Do you feel that way? Yeah. Yeah. When everyone's driving and everyone's just getting into the car, going to work, coming back, and that's it. it yeah. It's hard to create a culture. People always say that inter- the internet and the cell phone are like have been a part of the death of like American culture. But I think it really just started with cars and the way we developed our neighborhoods just to be, you take your car to work, you come back, you, and you stay at home with your family and watch TV, and that's all you do. You don't walk around your neighborhood. You don't go shopping at your local uh, stores. The best way, to, I think, to measure a city's health as an economy is how many little stores it supports that like should have no financial capability of existing. Like if you have a board game store or a magic shop in your town, you're doing very well. And if we're yeah, if we're just driving to Target, we're not letting those businesses pop up. Yeah, I mean, I think about when I lived in DC, which DC it could be more walkable, but there were so many shops like that because people didn't have cars and you'd be walking, you'd go for a walk after dinner. Or, you know, you'd walk to dinner or stuff like that. And 
these businesses would be able to catch your eye. So you'd be able to just pop in real fast. But it's such a chore to like drive your car somewhere, pay for gas to get there, park your car, get out of the car, walk in. And especially when so many places you have to pay for parking, it just really denies us the opportunity to develop culture, like you said, and make connections and also develop a sense of community. I think about a lot about the decline of churches in the United States. And honestly, I blame it on kind of how isolating our infrastructure is. There's hardly any conversations that you can have with strangers about anything. So of course, conversations around faith and religion are absolutely not going to happen in a world where we hardly ever interact with each other. I mean, I'm not rolling down my window at a stoplight and being like, hey, my name's Hannah. Like, let's <laughs> let's talk at the next stoplight. Would you like to come to my church on, on Sunday? Like, that's not going to happen. <laughs> so it's just those, those kinds of interactions are completely precluded from our collective experience. And that is so sad to me because I am a people lover. And even though earlier in the episode, I said I don't like talking to strangers on the airplane. The reason I don't like that is because I'm about five inches away from their face, you know? <laughs> got them sneezing right into your in, right into your face. <laughs> oh my gosh, I had someone sleep on my shoulder at one time. It was Ugh. super weird. And I was like, I don't know what to do. <laughs> so, but in a world where we have railroads and we can just ride the train and these seats are so much larger and we're comfortable and have more leg room, I don't have to worry about someone snuggling up to me who I don't know. <laughs> yeah. I think it's important that we create more of a competition in our, the way we travel. Because airplanes may travel faster. They go on average about 550 to 575 miles an hour. And high-speed rail goes from 150 to 220 miles an hour. In China, they have a top speed of 286. But you get so much better amenities with rail. They're not charging you for every little item you're bringing on. They're not like giving you little cheap snacks to eat. There's not two hours of security that you have to get through. And you don't need to be there so early. And you know what the best part is? They're connected into the city. They're integrated into the city. So you get into the city and you can walk around. And they also have leg room, which is really important. (laughs) That's so true because if you're thinking about it, you don't have to land a train. You don't have to like clear hundreds of acres for a train to land. So you don't have to be super far away from the city center. The train just enters its station, right? Have you seen the New York Times a couple weeks ago just put out an analysis of how likely and how frequent near collisions happen with, within airplanes in I air and in, on the land? So I'm going to have to look this up. But the analysis says that airplanes have near miss accidents like way more often than people think they do. Although like we haven't had like a super dramatic collision in a long time. We've just been really lucky for a while. Airports are getting really crowded because airplanes are so big. Oftentimes there's a miscommunication with whether or not an airplane's supposed to land on a runway where an airplane might be taking off. Those kinds of miscommunications can be catastrophic. And while that that kind of thing could potentially happen with a train, it's a lot less likely because a train can usually see another train coming a lot easier than a plane can because a plane's going to be descending from thousands of feet in the air. Yeah, and high-speed rail, usually they have their own dedicated track that they're running along that's usually raised up so they're separate from everything else so they can go as fast as they possibly can. Yeah, so you're telling me that high-speed high speed rail travel is probably a lot safer than airplane travel? Safer, more luxurious. I'm going to be in Spain in uh, next month. My uh, 
high speed rail ticket was only half the price compared to what it would have been to fly. And only, not really? that much longer. It was, it was only like an hour and a half longer, which is going through security, basically. <laughs> so you're telling me that even though the train moves a little bit slower than the airplane, you save time because you don't have to go through security. And you also don't have to worry about delays. Yeah, it's also comfy, relaxing. You're not elbow to elbow with someone. You actually have space, nice seats. You can, you can get a uh, seat with a table, talk to your friends. Wait, you can get a seat with a table? Yeah. Not just a seat with a tiny tray? They have like higher end locations and you get like a table you can talk. You you have internet connection. You have Wi-Fi. What? Okay, so that would be so useful for me because so often when I'm at the airport, I'm like scrambling to finish something and then my plane gets here and I'm like, oh, well, I guess I can't work on it for six hours, you know? If I didn't have to like pause and I could just use that time for something productive instead of watching a random movie or staring at the ceiling. Do you ever get like really antsy on an airplane and you just want to like run away and stretch or something? I don't know. That's how I feel. Oh, my girlfriend's afraid of flying and she she <laughs> does not do well. And I feel like she would be fine on a train. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Absolutely be fine on a train. I prefer trains hands down. It's also the environmental impact of rail is so much less than um, flying. And as oil prices and gas prices continue to get higher and higher, it's going to become more and more economical to be to use something that uses less gas and less fuel. Yeah. So tell me more about that. Like, how does airline con- compare? Like, how much worse is airline travel than high speed rail? I don't have the exact numbers right now, but the airplanes use a lot of fuel to get where they're going. And most high speed rail is electrified. So it's running much more efficiently because electric engines run much more efficiently just much less impact and we could be going going places much more efficiently using high-speed rail yeah. and doing it much more comfortably. <laughs> so I have a question. Do you think high-speed rails are also more consistent because they might not have to be grounded like airlines are when there's bad weather? Yeah, they don't experience delays as often. If they've experienced a delay, you're going to know about it way ahead of time because they're doing maintenance or construction's happening. It's not going to be, oh, the... Uh, airline pilot timed out and is, isn't able to fly now yeah that's and, true and america high-speed rail is coming to america very slowly but we have california high-speed rail uh which is being built right now i ter- it was a whole mess of politics that is making it very inefficient mm-hmm. uh, we also have cascadia high-speed rail which is in the planning phase can connect uh-huh. seattle portland and vancouver we have the Acela, which is high speed for connecting New York to DC. And then we have Brightline, which is a private company, which I think is a great opportunity for American companies to take to get into. It has built rail connecting Miami and Orlando. It's going to continue expanding up the Southeast Corridor. And they are building a fully high speed rail train connecting LA to Las Vegas, the highest flown route in America. What? That would be amazing. I would love to do something like that. Because I know a lot of people vacation in those places. And so if there is a high-speed rail available, we could really save a lot of carbon, first of all. And second of all, people aren't going to be as grumpy when they land at the place that they're vacationing at, right? (laughs) That's a great point. All right, Hannah, I think we're running out of time. So I think we should start closing up. We are reaching out to college radio stations that they will air our weekly program if you want your college to host Green Tea Party Radio, then email us at info at greenteapartyradio.com. 
So email us with your thoughts. Our email address is info at greenteapartyradio.com. If you are someone that really cares about high-speed rail, then look for ways that you can support projects like this. Talk to your legislators about supporting funding for high-speed rail. We really appreciate you guys listening and interacting with us. If you have any questions or comments or concerns, feel free to reach out. Thank you for listening to Green Tea Party Radio and a very special thank you to all of our patrons. We couldn't do this without you. If you're interested in getting early access to episodes as well as Green Tea Party Radio merch, check us out at greenteapartyradio.com. If you have feedback, tell us what's on your mind and follow us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and TikTok. And also just so you know, reminder, this is our passion project. We don't have any organizational sponsors, so we're doing this out of the love of our conservative hearts. Um, We're building a movement and we want the world to know that conservatives have important things to say about climate change. And also that conservatives have valid and very well thought out views about ways to solve climate change. Please, please join our movement and we really appreciate you guys. And if you want to hear our show on your college radio station, email us at info at greenteapartyradio.com and give us the details about your campus and your radio station. Email again is info at greenteapartyradio.com. Thank Thank you for listening, guys. (laughs) Yeah, I hope Katie's feeling better. Me too. Also, I have to tell you, wedding season is my least favorite season. Oh, it's it's so difficult. This year has been crazy. Had to burn all my vacation days. (laughs) I mean, in Utah, people get married so young. And so I'm 22. Most of my friends are married. Crazy, right? But the thing is, I love weddings. I love them. It's just I don't like the fact that my calendar throughout the summer is completely occupied by weddings. I'm like, I want to go this place. I'm like, I have to go to a wedding. I love this person, but I yeah. have to spend money to go out to see their wedding. <laughs> yeah, so. it's tough. And that, that, that time I got stuck in New York going to a wedding, I had to burn five vacation days. And basically, I had to cancel a vacation I'd planned for uh, this time. <laughs> Oh my gosh, I love everyone in the world, but can you guys please spread out your weddings a little bit further? <laughs> can you not do them one after the other? <laughs> Especially because it's bad for my carbon footprint, and also I really hate flying, so it's horrible on my mental health. <laughs> yeah, it's that post-COVID wedding surge. Everyone's, everyone's doing it right now. <laughs> oh my gosh, I had a friend who had three different weddings, and I went to her weddings. Super fun, amazing. But gosh, I like was like, do I have to pull out a loan to go to each and every single one of these weddings? <laughs> you oh. got to buy them presents. and Yeah. Well, you know what? I am here for it. I'm always here to support and to celebrate my friends. But I feel like they were coordinating their wedding planning. And they're like, how about we all do it in the same four-week time frame? I'm <laughs> 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 sure that all of our friends are stressed about this. All right. Well. Zach, it's always lovely talking to you. I talk to you once a week. Actually, more than that, because I send you memes. (laughs) We need to add some dank dank memes to the website. Anyone have any (laughs) dank high-speed rail memes? Please email them to us. I'm sure we can find them. (laughs) (laughs) Hi, I'm Drew Irely. I am the Conservative Outreach Director for Citizens Climate Lobby. My path to being a conservative, uh, concerned about climate action, was definitely a long one. Growing up, it's a very rural area, 
you had to be into the outdoors or you were going to be bored out of your mind. So I grew up doing a lot of hunting, fishing. I was the only the, the second person on my mom's side to graduate high school. I graduated June 6th, 05, at like 7.30 at night. And by 8 o'clock the next morning, I was on my way to basic training on my 17th birthday. <laughs> I had deployments to Iraq, Afghanistan, rotations through Cuba. It was during this time that I really became concerned with energy infrastructure, but I wasn't ready to take action yet. It took the birth of a 10-pound baby girl with cheeks so big she couldn't open her eyes to really get me to open mine. My life just went from the next 50 years to the next 75. What if she's the veteran that follows in my footsteps and she's in the VA suffering from exposure? You know, what if she's on a fossil fuel route and you know, subject to an IED? How will I be able to look at her in the eye and say, I knew that this could be an issue that you would have to face and I chose to do nothing about it. It's why we fight wars. You know, we fight them now so our kids don't have to. I am fighting climate change now so my daughters don't have to. A lot of people, you know, they say conservatives don't care about climate change, and you know, it's not true at all. We just want sensible policies that don't destroy the economy in trying to find a solution. We have that here at Citizens Climate Lobby. There are a lot of leadership opportunities for conservatives, especially in red states and districts with Republican congressional offices. Conservatives can also join CCL's Conservative Caucus. It's a national group of Republicans and other right-of-center individuals where conservatives can get together and regularly meet online and have strictly conservative-based conversations. Sharing our personal stories, how we make a difference. Conservative and concerned about climate change? You're not alone. My name is Chelsea Henderson, and I host RepublicEN.org's Eco Right Speaks, bringing you weekly guest interviews and stories. John Kasich, Christine Todd Whitman, Congresswoman Nancy Mace, meteorologist Marshall Shepard. Each week, we have a conversation with an Eco Right leader, bringing you information, opinions, personal stories, and much, much more. Download, listen, subscribe, and join us each week on the Eco Right Speaks. A changing climate presents humanity with only one option, adapt. Join podcast host Doug Parsons on America Adapts. In this podcast, Doug interviews scientists, activists, policymakers, and journalists to discuss how society is going to adapt to all the climate impacts now and in the future. Drought, sea level rise, extreme events. The climate is going to change and we need to be prepared for it. Question your assumptions, refresh your perspective, and become part of the climate movement that will determine our planet's future on the America Daps podcast. You can find America Daps on all your favorite podcast apps or visit americaadapts.org. There are some identities that some Christians think might disqualify someone from being an actual Christian. You, you can't really be a Christian if you're an environmentalist or mm. if you're concerned about climate change. So are you a real Christian and why? How is that <laughs> possible? It's a great question. We as the Evangelical Environmental Network, as Young Evangelicals for Climate Action, we don't do this work. And I certainly don't do this work because I consider myself a quote unquote environmentalist. 
I do this because I'm a Christian. Jesus is the reason that I do the climate work that I do. I'm just trying to get better at following him because that's the most important thing in my life. Likewise, my faith has been enriched and deepened immensely by my climate work and, and my climate action. We need some sort of policy to offer to people on how we're going to address climate change. Republican leadership notices that they're going to lose young voters if they don't have some sort of policy to address it. The conservative side of America often brings a little more appreciation for how to make sure that we maintain and grow a society of abundance where we focus on trying to continue to grow, continue to innovate and continue to create a world with a very optimistic future and a future that gives people hope and things to look forward to. That even if your individual values differ along that spectrum, that's okay. But our first priority is to our people and it's to our country and whatever we need to do to make that better.